You're listening to a presentation of The Rising. We're a real church for real people where you can belong before you believe. We're always honored to hear how God is working in your life through this ministry. If you have a story you'd like to share with us, hit us up at wearetherising.com or on Facebook or Instagram. Finally, if you'd like to invest in what God's doing through this church, you can always give online through our site. Thanks again for tuning in and get ready. Lean forward with an expectant attitude to hear a message from God's Word. You know, several years ago, um, when my wife and I were in the process of launching The Rising, one of the things that I had to determine um, as a pastor and leader of this church is is how are we going to manage money as a church? Because when it comes to church and money, there's a lot of hang-ups that people have. Uh, I was actually at the library this past week with my daughter, and I overheard this lady talking to someone else, and she said, oh, yeah, you know, I go to church. And she said, and, and you know, the church, they, they, they're just all about money, and they, they just want to get money. And I, I overheard that, and I, it took everything in me not to speak up and say, uh, no, <laughs> not the case. But sometimes people have that, that understanding. They think, well, the church just wants my money. And then there's all kinds of questions when it comes to money in church. Where's the money going? What are they doing with the money? And so I knew that in launching The Rising, I had to decide from day one how we were going to manage money to be above reproach so that um, you could trust when you give uh, that your money is making a difference. And so from day one, before we ever launched, I said, we are going to take the first 10% of everything that's given in this house, everything that's given, uh, the tithes and offerings you bring, we're gonna take the first 10% of that and set that aside in an account we call missions. And this is gonna go outside of our church to make a difference in the world and locally in our community as we support strategic partners. And then I said the next 10%, We're going to set aside in savings uh, because you need to have an emergency fund. And uh, I said, we're going to set aside that first, that second 10% so that we can be ready for when an opportunity arises. Because how many of you know that if you try to get ready for an opportunity, when it arises, you're already too late. You got to be ready before the opportunity comes. And so we said from day one, we're just going to set aside 10% in savings for opportunities and for an emergency fund, things like that. And then the remaining 80% is what we're going to operate on as a church. And so everything you see that happens in this church, everything on Sunday morning, all the ministry that takes place, takes place from 80% of what's given when you return the tithe and bring an offering. Um, And here's what's interesting. Uh, Just over 20% of people who are part of this church give. Just over 20% of people who are part of this church give. So what you see is 80% of what 20% of people give. That's phenomenal. Now, you never would have known that because we're really thrifty and we're, we're frugal when it comes to things. We cut back on some things. We try to be really inexpensive and cheap in the things that we do, but we still want it to be excellent. But everything you see that happens in this ministry, all the impact we have, all the difference we're able to make, comes from 80% of what 20% of people in this church give. And I start to think, what would happen if 30% of people gave? What about 40, 50? What what if there were more people who said, God, I'm gonna trust you with my finances? And listen, I'm telling you this, not because the church needs your money, not because we're in a crisis, we're not. Things can keep going the way they are and we'll still be good. But I tell you this because I wanna invite you to make a difference. 
and to step up and do more. Because here's, here's the thing. We operate on 80% as a church. Like I said, we set aside the first or the second 10%. And I want to tell you how good your church is with money so you can take pride in this. Since day one, every single week, when you bring your tithe and offering, we set aside 10% for saving. Another thing we do to create a culture of generosity in our church, because we just believe that we live with open hands, we're a generous church, uh, another thing that we do is every single year to foster this culture of generosity, we do what we call a heart for the house offering. And this is where uh, the people of our church come and they bring an offering over and above the tithe at the end of the year. And so they come and, and we say, God, thank you for all that you've done in our lives. Thank you for the way you've blessed me. Thank you. And I'm so grateful. And because of that, I want to give this offering. And so since we've launched, we've done a heart for the house offering every single year. We'll be doing another one at the end of this year. And it's not because the church needs your money. It's just, again, it's an act of gratitude. This year, we're actually going to call the offering, What If? And we're going to ask, what if God really is as big as we think he is? What if God could do more if we gave more? What if, what could God do if we trusted him more? And so we're going to do this offering at the end of the year. My wife and I are actually saving up for that right now. By the way, if you're part of our church, I want to invite you to plan for that at the end of the year. Don't let it catch you off guard. Don't let it catch you by surprise. But be thinking about that now. But we're doing this end of year offering. And um, since we've launched, because of your generosity, because of what you've given in those Heart for the House offerings, and because we set aside 10% to save, we've been able to save a quarter of a million dollars so far. As a church, we have $250,000 in a savings account. This is for emergency fund, but it's also to be ready for an opportunity that may arise. And so if a building presents itself, that could be our permanent location. We want, we want to be ready for a down payment, right? And so you are so generous. That's why uh, I don't have to stand up and say, we got to give, because you've already given and we've already managed that well to be able to save a quarter of a million dollars. I don't know of any church that's over four years old that has that much money saved up. This is unnatural, unnormal for a church like this uh, to have saved up this much. And again, it's so that we can be ready for an opportunity presents itself. And uh, I, I mentioned that we set aside the first 10% to go to our strategic partners. Now these are partners that we partner with locally and globally to make a difference outside of our church. And so locally, we partner with uh, the food bank of Hampton Roads. And so because of your generosity, what we've been able to do as a church is give them money so that they can give backpacks filled with food to kids who otherwise uh, wouldn't have food. We're able to give food to kids who struggle with food insecurity. We're able to do that because of your generosity, because you give. We, we partner with uh, this ministry called Penn Ministry. It's called People in Need. And um, they help the homeless in the Virginia Beach area, and they help them overcome the problem of systemic poverty. Because you give, we're able to fund their mission so they can continue to do what they do. We can't do that unless you were generous. Uh, another partner that we have globally is Pioneer Bible Translators. Uh, these are people who translate the Bible for language groups that don't have the Bible in their own language. And so we partner with them, and the missionaries we support are Jacob and Elizabeth Smith. They've come here and they talked about their work in Papua New Guinea. But um, last year, they were able to distribute the Gospel of Matthew to the, book, uh, to the people, uh, to the mum people. Um, and they 
Yeah, this is, let me figure out how to say it. So this is a group of people who didn't have the gospel of Matthew in their own language. And we were able to pay for the distribution of that to thousands of people. So thousands of people had the gospel in their own language, and we covered the cost of the distribution. It was over $5,000. But we were able to say, hey, get that done, because the people of our church are generous and give. Another organization that we partner with is called A21 Campaign. And this is an organization that's near and dear to my heart because A21 Campaign exists to combat human trafficking. And uh, this is important to me because I just believe that people shouldn't be bought and sold, that bodies are not commodities, and people should be free. And, um, you know, with things that have happened in the news recently with Robert Kraft, a lot of um, attention has been put towards human trafficking. And, um, and I think it's good that human trafficking and sex slavery is at center stage in our society because it's an issue that happens today. See, so many of us, we think slavery is something that happened back then, but it, it still happens today. The, the latest stats tell us that there are 40.3 million slaves in the world today. And that's up from when I first started researching this years ago that said that there were 28 million slaves in the world. There are 40.3 million slaves in the world today, and 10 million of them are children. Slavery is something that exists and takes place even now. And slavery happens in all sorts of different forms. And uh, I wanted to, to show you just, just briefly um, how slavery impacts us here and now, how someone can get caught up in the slave trade. See, for so many of us, I think we have this, this picture in our mind of the transatlantic slave trade, of people standing on blocks and being bought and sold, but, but slavery can happen so subtly, even here. I wanna show you a picture of how slavery can happen here and now. Check this out. what the different chromosome is for a male versus a female. Yes. XX is female and XY is male. Correct? This is totally some theory. No, no, it's not. It's right. That's important. We're trying to study.
fun. Come over here. See, slavery can take all sorts of different forms. And um, that's why we partner with A21 Campaign, because they work to help set people free from human trafficking and from modern-day slavery. And slavery isn't something that happened back then. It's not something that happened in, in, in some other country, but it's something that, that happens even here and now. And, and it takes so many different forms. And as a church, we partner with A21. You know, I like to think that if I lived during the 16, 17, 1800s, I would have been an abolitionist in some way. Like, like I would have done something to try and help free people. I would have done something to stand up for the injustice of slavery. But the great thing is, you can be a modern-day abolitionist here and now. Because there are four times as many slaves in the world today as there were during the transatlantic slave trade. And when you give to this church... Because we support A21 campaign, we help fuel the fight in eradicating human trafficking. You, you may not be prepared or equipped to hit the streets and start finding and freeing people, but through your giving and through your generosity, you make a difference in eradicating human trafficking. And I tell you all this and I show you all this because I want you to feel and connect with the difference you're making. Because of your generosity today, as a church, we're giving $4,000 to A21 campaign so that they can eradicate this travesty of human trafficking. Yeah. And we're only able to do that because you're so generous, because you give like you give. And so for those of you who give, I want to say thank you so much for your generosity. And, and for those of you, maybe you haven't picked up giving as a discipline yet, or maybe you used to give and you fell off from it, I want to invite you today to make the day where you decide, I'm going to pick up the discipline of giving. Here's, here's what I want to invite you to do, because maybe you're like me and you hear uh, uh, Dave uh, up here earlier talking about giving and there's a time for that and you just tune them out, and I, I do that too. When people talk about giving, I'm like, yeah, whatever, I'm not going to do that. But, but here's what I want to invite you to do. If you, if you tune them out and if you hear this every single week, I want to invite you to just set up an account online. I'm not asking you to give anything. Again, we don't need your money. This isn't that. It's, it's about playing a part in something bigger. The, the, the way that you set up an account, I just want to invite you to do this. Take out your phone and simply text the word give to the number on the screen behind me. You don't have to give anything at all, but you're going to get a prompt asking you to set up an account. I just want to ask you, would you set up an account? So that way when you are ready to give, you can do that. Because you're probably like me, you think, well, I'll do that later, I'll get to it later, whatever, and you never get to it. You got the best intentions, I got the best intentions, I want to, I just never do. I want to invite you today, set up an account. You don't have to give anything, but just set up an account. And know, when we say that your generosity makes a difference, it does. 
You are having an impact, not just here in this church, as we see people raised to life in Christ, baptized, as we see marriages healed, as we see people um, overcome depression, as we see people realize that they're not lonely, even though they feel lonely because God is with them. Because of this ministry, people are finding life. But also, you're making a difference as you give locally, like I mentioned with the food bank, with, with helping those who are homeless get out of that problem of systemic poverty. And when you give, you're helping eradicate human trafficking around the world. And so I want to invite you to set up that account. Now, I bring up A21 campaign uh, for several reasons. One is I want to thank you for your generosity. It's because you're so generous that we're able to give them $4,000 today to fuel their mission. By the way, money and resources are the fuel for the vehicle, right? And so if this church is a vehicle, the only way we're able to move further and faster is through resources. Without those resources, you can't go very far. So that's what money is. Money is the fuel for that. And when you give, I want to make this clear, you're not giving to the church. You're giving to God through the local church so that we can accomplish God's mission here on earth. So I bring this up to say thank you for your generosity. Second, I bring up A21 campaign to remind you of the travesty of human trafficking. And I hope you'll get passionate about it. I hope you'll get this holy injustice inside of you where you say, this is not right. We have to do something about it. But third, I bring up A21 campaign because I wanted to introduce you to Christine Kane. Uh, Christine Kane is the founder and leader of A21 campaign. And um, I think the reason why she set up this organization is because she found freedom herself. Uh, not, not from human trafficking or modern-day slavery, but she found freedom from bit bitterness and resentment. Y years ago, I had the opportunity of hearing her tell her story, and it was so captivating that I wanted to share it with you. And so what I want to do is I want to show you a video for 10 minutes. It's her telling her story of all the things that she went through. And then afterwards, I'm going to come back up here, and I'm going to talk to you about how we get free like she got free. Check this out. For so many of us, the Lord's saying it's time to have the courage to let go of what is back there because you cannot simultaneously hold on to your past and lay a hold of the future. You cannot, you must let go to lay hold. You cannot bring your past into your present and then from that, try to step into your future. Most Christians get stuck in yesterday. I love you too wrote a great song called Stuck in a Moment. It says you gotta get yourself together. You got stuck in a moment and now you can't get out of it. And it is astounding how many people get stuck in some moment of either success or failure or abuse or pain or offense or hurt, and that moment happened maybe 10 years ago. And although your body is here this morning, everything about you is still stuck in that moment back there. And the way you respond and the decisions that you make and the worldview that you have is determined by some moment in your past. And if you're gonna lay a hold of the future, you've gotta learn to forget that and to let go of that, to lay a hold of the promises of God in His Word for your future. You know, I, um, I had to do that in a big way in my own life. You, you can't move forward if you're living in your present or you're living in this present moment filled with your past. I, I grew up in Sydney, Australia, and um, a second generation migrant Greek. And so I grew up in a country pre-multiculturalism and before my big fat Greek wedding. Has anyone seen my big fat Greek wedding in here? Okay, so that's my big fat Greek life. And so I did not speak English. 
I didn't speak English until I was five years old. I grew up in a very staunch Greek Orthodox culture. Um, very, very Greek. And so I was very marginalized in Australia because of my ethnicity. When I was growing up in the 70s and um, early 80s, but predominantly in the 70s, there was no multicultural policy in Australia and there was a, a lot of antagonism towards migrants, particularly from, from Italy and Greece, which there was a large migration um, from those countries into Australia. So my brothers were frequently beaten at school. I was called every name you could ever think of, all of them with four letters, none of them were love. And so every day, like very, very frequently, and we would have to put bars on the windows of our house and, and would have graffiti, very much marginalized for nothing more than my ethnicity. So I know what that's like. I know what it's like not to be spoken to and to be mocked and ridiculed and literally spat on and beaten just because you're from another country. I grew up in a, a culture that in no way esteemed women in any way. In fact, for a Greek Orthodox mother, you know, her goal for my life is that I would marry at 18, have children at 19, and great-grandchildren at 20. And, and I, I, I tell people I'm a Greek Orthodox mother's nightmare. I didn't marry until I was 30. I didn't have my first child until I was 35, and I spend my life teaching in churches. I, and my mother's like, what did I do life? wrong in my life? And so it's like, this is like, what, what happened? And so I very much could have maybe not stepped into the promise of God for my life, because of my gender. I grew up in the poorest local government area in New South Wales, the state in which I grew up in, the third poorest local government area in all of Australia. And um, in a government, what we call in Australia, a housing commission house where the government assists you in a very, very rundown part of Sydney. And I went to the school that rated in the lowest 10% percentile for any academic achievement. In fact, we rated really high on teenage pregnancy, substance abuse, a few of those things, gang violence, but really low on anything academic. And so there's a whole list, whether it's my gender, my ethnicity, my socioeconomic background, my education background, that I could have used as, as limiting factors in my past, as excuses to not step into the future that Jesus promised me. And then pretty much every week of my life, more often than not, several times a week, for as long as I have any memory or recollection. I was sexually abused by four men for 12 years. And um, that messes with you. And when it starts as young as it did, it messes with every part of you. I never went from one stage of development in my life to the other in any healthy way. And there was a lot of damage done from when I was a very, very young girl. I was a young woman that was so full of unforgiveness. I was, I was so angry. I was so full of bitterness. I was so full of shame. I was so full of guilt. And I was so full of condemnation. And the reason why it gets so quiet in a room this size is because you don't need to be a prophet to work out that with several thousand people, inevitably there are many, many of you that in some way, shape or form, whether it's sexual or physical or emotional or spiritual, understand exactly what it is to have encountered that kind of trauma and that kind of pain. The word abuse, the Oxford Dictionary says, is to use an object for a purpose for which it was never designed. And for 12 years, I was used for a purpose for which God never designed me to be used. So I was messed up. My soul was damaged and extremely wounded. My mind was so, so messed up. I was so far away from having any God thoughts about myself. And I believe the lies of the enemy that I was nothing, that I would become nothing, that I was just some dumb, stupid, ethnic girl and the only thing that was worth happening to someone like me 
was being abused because that's what you do with someone that has no value and that is worthless. So many of us can sell out to the lies of the enemy. I, I tell people, you know, I, I, I fit almost every government funding category in Australia. I was like a marginalized, oppressed, dispossessed, poor ethnic minority, abused, adopted chick. Like I was just like everything. I could have made a fortune on government funding. Because what they do is they fund people like me, they give me a label and they say victim and will pay you every week and remind you what you were or what you are and will keep you in that box. And then when I was two weeks before my 33rd birthday, um, which was 13 years ago, and just last week I, I turned 46, do I look it? Right answer, I'm still taking presents this week in case you're wondering, so feel free. So about this time, 13 years ago, I got a phone call from my brother George. George was 35 at the time, I was two weeks out from my 33rd birthday. When you're Greek, all your brothers are like George or Nico or Spiro or Con. And so George calls me and he says, Christina, I got a letter from the government department and it says that I've been adopted. Now, when he said that to me, I laughed, church, because you know when you're growing up, you never think you're related to your siblings, and um, you always say to them, you know, your mother's from Mars, you're adopted, you're not really my brother. You know, I spent my whole life saying that. But he goes, you know, I said, George, obviously, and the department that sent this document to him is called the Department of Community Services. And so he goes, Chris, Doc sent me this document. I said, call Docs and tell them what's happened. They've obviously sent this letter to the wrong person. And I said, then call me back. So, and I was sitting at a table, eating my Indian vindaloo, I'll never forget it, when my phone called, rang again, and George was sobbing. And he said, Chris, it's true. They told me the name of my biological mother, they told me the name of my biological father, when I went to school, where I was immunized, they have an entire file on my life. Church, I was gobsmacked. And um, my father had died when I was 19. And my mum at this point when that phone call happened was 61. And I don't know if you know anything about Greeks, but they are extremely volatile. So they act first and think later. And I'm thinking this thing is gonna explode. So I jump in my car, I race home to my mother's house. I walk into the lounge room at the moment that my brother is giving my mum this piece of paper from the government. And um, I see this moment of hesitation in my mother's face. And then my mum starts crying and she said, George, I am so sorry. All of the adoptions in Australia in the 60s, they were closed adoptions. And we never thought you would find out. And when your father died, just before he died, one of the last things that I promised him was that I would never tell you. And so I tore up all of the paperwork and I threw it away. And um, I never thought you would find out. And I mean, church, it was a moment. And my mum's like sobbing, my brother's crying, the dog's crying, snot's flying, you know, like, I mean, it was a, it was a big fat Greek moment. It was like a moment. I didn't know what to do. I'm watching this unfold. I'm thinking I'm watching an episode of Days of Our Lives. I mean, it was like unbelievable. And so being the good Greek daughter, I'm just going like, I'm gonna go into the kitchen. I'm gonna go get some baklava, make some coffee, food. Food is the answer to everything when you're Greek. So I'm in the kitchen. My mother walks in and she says to me in Greek, Christina, since we're telling the truth, you're a very quick church. Since we're telling the truth, do you wanna know the whole truth? I froze. I turned around. I'm, I don't even know why I said this initially. I went, I've been adopted too. And with tears streaming down her face, my mum just started nodding her head. And um, I was stunned. 
I mean, I didn't say anything for a few minutes, which in and of itself was a miracle greater than the resurrection of Jesus. But anyway, so I didn't say anything. And then in the next breath, the first thing that I said, I went, am I still Greek? And that was it. Because I was called a lot of names at school for a lot of years, and I wanted to know there was a reason for all of that mocking and taunting. And so I went, am I still Greek? And then the very next thing that came out of my mouth, right there in my Greek Orthodox mother's kitchen, I went, oh, well, Mum, before I was formed in my mother's womb, whose ever womb that was, he knew me. He knitted together my innermost parts. He fashioned all of my days before as yet there was one of them. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. My mother looked at me like I'd been smoking crack. And so I was just kind of like, it just came out of my spirit. The word that I had put in. John says, if you abide in my word, then you will know the truth and then the truth will make you free. If you're not in his word, you won't know the truth so you can't be free. Yeah, man, isn't that good? I I debated, I was like, I just want to show them the whole thing. She's so good and she talks so funny. Uh, no, I love that accent. But she said, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. This morning we're going to get into God's word so that we can know the truth and ultimately I want to set us free. You know, I, I remember several years ago I heard Christine Kane live tell her story um, about her past, and it was different than this one. And, and, and when I sat in that conference hall and I heard her speaking, she spent a lot of time talking about how she was abused for 12 years by these four men. And um, she said, you know, people have come up to me now uh, and, and said, you seem so well off. You seem like you have things together. Like, how are you, over, how, how are you able to overcome that? How are you able to, to get past that? I mean, you seem well adjusted. You seem like it doesn't even bother you now. How are you able to move on? And, and she said, the only way I was able to move on is by forgiving them. It was, it was through giving forgiveness. She said, because I was bitter and I had resent, resentment built up in me, but I, I realized that I kept giving them headspace. I just thought about it all the time, and I lived as this victim, even though it was years ago, even though it had stopped so long ago, it still bothered me, it still affected me. And I realized as long as I was bitter, as long as I was resentful, I allowed them to continue to control my life. And they controlled 12 years of my life. I was not going to allow them to control one more day. And that's when she said I needed to forgive. And it was in that moment that I decided to forgive and to move on. And I believe the only way for us to find freedom is in forgiveness. But so many of us have difficulty with forgiving. And I think the reason why we have such difficulty with forgiving is because um, we don't understand what forgiveness really is. And so I want to tell you what forgiveness is, but before I tell you what it is, I need to tell you what it isn't. Because forgiveness is not saying what you did is okay. It's not saying don't worry about it, it's no big deal. Forgiveness is not saying let's just sweep it under the rug and pretend like it never happened. No, because it is a big deal, it did happen, and it's not okay. That's not forgiveness. My dad, my, my biological dad wasn't there when I was growing up. I, I grew up the, the formative years of my life without a father figure. That's not okay. Your friend who lied to you, who stabbed you in the back, who ghosted on you, that's a problem. That's not okay. Your girlfriend who cheated on you, you can't sweep that under the rug. It happened. So forgiveness is not saying don't worry about it. It's no big deal. Let's just forget about it. No, no, no. Forgiveness, though, is saying... I don't hold this against you anymore. 
I don't hold this against you anymore. Because the truth is, when, when somebody wrongs you, they owe you. They, they've taken something from you. My dad took a childhood with a dad away from me. He owes me that. Your friend who lied to you took your trust away from you. They owe you your trust back. Your, your girlfriend who cheated on she owes you your dignity. She stole that from you. But the thing is, the people who owe us, the people who have wronged us, can't pay us back. We can't go back to when I was seven years old and, and I have a dad again. He can't pay me back for that. Your friend can't go back and re-say those things and do things differently. Well, if I could, I would, but you can't. You can't pay me back. And you can try and live your life making amends and making things better later on, but the, the point is you took something from me and you can't pay it back. You owe me. But forgiveness says, yes, you took something from me, but you don't owe me anymore. I don't hold this against you any longer. See, when we hold on to a grudge, when we have bitterness and resentment, when I say that person's name, and you know exactly who it is, because when I say it, your teeth clench, your heart starts to race a little bit, and you're like, don't even get me started on, right? When I say that, when you have bitterness and a grudge and resentment, you allow that person to have headspace in your mind, and they control you. But forgiveness is saying, you don't owe me anymore. Yes, you owe me, but you don't owe me. I lay this debt down. Instead, I will pay the debt for you. Because how many of you know that when you forgive, there's always a cost involved in forgiveness. There is always a cost involved in forgiveness. Somebody owes you, they took something from you, but when you say, I forgive, you say, I will assume that cost on me. I'll deal with it. I'll work through it. Dad, you don't owe me anymore. I will take on myself the cost of growing up without a dad, and i got to figure that stuff out. I'm going to sort through it. But I don't hold this against you anymore. I'm not going to hold this up and, and say, see, see, see what you did back then? No, no, no. I'm laying it down. You don't owe me anymore. Now, I, I want to be clear, too. When you forgive somebody it doesn't always mean that things go back to how they were. It's not, Dad, I forgive you, let's be father and son again. It's, Dad, I forgive you, and now we need to work on this relationship of trust if we're even going to have a relationship. You can forgive somebody and not be their friend again. It's just saying, I don't owe you anymore, or you don't owe me anymore. But the friendship we had was toxic, and I'm not going to get back into that situation, and so I'm going to move on, but I forgive you, and I love you, and just know, live the rest of your life knowing I'm not bitter with you. There's no resentment there. And then it's on you to make sure there's no bitterness or resentment. F forgiveness is not saying, let's go back to how it used to be. Well, let's get back together. Let's be friends again. Let's, no, no, no. Forgiveness is saying, you don't owe me anymore. And this is what Jesus does for us. See, so many of us, we have difficulty with forgiveness, I think because we misunderstand what forgiveness is, but also because I think we forget that we've been given forgiveness. This is the good news of the gospel of Jesus, that we have been forgiven. If you're a Christian, this is what you believe. This is what your faith is centered around. If you're not a Christian and you wonder, what is this whole Christianity thing about? Let me just tell you what the message is. The message of Christianity is that we've all been forgiven. 
And it begins in the very beginning. The message of Christianity. Here's what we believe. Here's what our faith is centered on. That you and I were created in the image of God. And then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. You and I, we were created to be in relationship with God. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So we were created to be in relationship with God, but the problem for each and every one of us is we've rebelled against God. We've said no to God. God, I think my way is better than your way. And when that happens, that's called sin, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And because we've rebelled against God, because we've gone our own way instead of his way, what we deserve for our sin is death. Death is separation. We deserve to be separated from the one who created us to be in relationship with him. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And for the wages of sin is death. But then Jesus comes along and he says, I will take your wrong. I will take this injustice. I will take all the things you've done that you regret in your life, all the ways you've hurt yourself and hurt other people. I will take all of that on me on the cross so that when I die, your sin will die with me. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. So Jesus came and paid the price we owe. Jesus came, he paid our sin debt so that we could be forgiven. Jesus came and said, you don't owe me anymore because I've paid the price. You've been forgiven. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And the way that we accept the reward of God's forgiveness is by believing that he came and that he died for us on the cross. But it doesn't stop there. Some people think, well, I just believe in God, that's good. No, James said, you believe there's one God, good, Congratulations, I'm glad you believe in God. Even the demons believe that and they shudder. The demons believe in God. The difference is saying, I believe you died for me and that belief makes me want to follow you. I not only want you to be the savior of my soul, but I want you to be the leader of my life. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home in them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. So we say, Jesus, thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for taking my sins, past, present, and future, on yourself and doing away with them so that I could be forgiven. I believe you died for me. And because I believe, I want to follow you. I want to practice your principles. I want to do what you say. And it all begins in baptism. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. This is the good news of Jesus, that you and I did not deserve forgiveness. We've all wronged God, and, and, and you know, you, you know you, you don't need me to tell you that. You don't need the Bible to tell you that. We know, we know that we know that we know that we've fallen short. But God said, I will take your sin on myself and pay the price you owe. You don't owe me anymore. You have been forgiven. 
and that overwhelms us. We say, God, thank you so much. I want to follow you, and my relationship with you begins in the waters of baptism. I'm going to allow myself to be baptized, immersed down into the water so that I can be buried with you. And when I come up, I come up a brand new creation, my sins washed away, ready to live a new life, living in the forgiveness you gave me. I don't know if you've ever made the decision to accept the forgiveness of God. I don't know if there's a point in your life where you said, Jesus, I believe that you died for me on the cross and you've been baptized into him. And listen, I'm not talking about you grew up going to church. I'm not talking about your family believes in God. I'm not talking about you went through confirmation. I'm talking about has there ever been a point in your life where you said, Jesus, I believe you died for me on the cross. You rose again from the dead. And I want to give you my life by being baptized into you. Have you ever made that decision, nailed it down with God, and entered into a relationship with him, accepting his forgiveness? If not, I want to invite you to make that decision today. When you came in, you received a connect card at the bottom of that, a note card, and at the bottom of that note card is a connect card. At the bottom of that, there's a box that says, I want to accept Christ as my Savior and be baptized. If you've never made that decision, this is what Christianity is all about, is that you can have a new start. It's that you can live in forgiveness. You don't have to be good enough to get God's love. You don't have to get it all together to be good in God's sight. But God has already made you good through his son. I wonder if you've ever made the decision to accept that forgiveness and walk in that forgiveness. If not, I want to invite you, fill out that card, drop it off at the black tables at the end of the experience. We'd love to talk to you about getting baptized on Easter Sunday. On Easter Sunday, we're going to set up the hot tub right here, and we're going to see people get baptized, raised to new life in Christ, and I don't want you to miss your opportunity. If you've never made that decision, today's the day. If you have made that decision, you know, one of the things we do every single week is take communion. And this is a time where we're reminded of the grace God has given us. Jesus' body broken on the cross, his blood shed for us so that we could have life. When I'm finished talking, members from our VIP team are going to come down and they're going to pass out trays. In those trays are stacks of cups. The bottom cup has some bread. It's there to remind us of Jesus' body that was broken. The top cup has some juice. It's there to remind us of his blood that was shed for us. And I want to invite you as communions pass, feel free to take it at any time um, just as a reminder that God has forgiven you and given you new life. But this is the foundation. We have to get and know and understand that we have been forgiven. Do you know that? Do you know that this morning that God loves you for who you are and not as you should be? Because none of us are as we should be. None of us are as we should be. But God makes us right with him through his sacrifice. Hey, when you understand that, I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. And I didn't deserve that forgiveness. When you understand that, it opens the door for you to forgive others. Because they don't deserve it, just like you didn't. But you're able to give it to them. Anyways, there's this time where Jesus explains this. To Peter, one of his disciples, Peter asked him this question. Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus said, I'll tell you not seven times, but 77 times. 
Peter thought he was being generous. See, at the, in the, at the time in, 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 in that day and age, rabbis taught that you should only forgive somebody three times. After three times, you've forgiven them fully. Peter's trying to be generous. He says, how about seven times? Seven is the number of completion. I will completely forgive them if I forgive them seven times. Jesus says, no, 77 times. He's not saying keep track and then stop on 77. But what he's saying is live a life of forgiveness. Let it just be who you are. Like forgiveness just flows from you. And just keep forgiving. And, and again, it's not I'm going to put myself in a situation where you keep wronging me and I keep forgiving you and I keep going back. That's dumb. We're called to be wise. Get yourself out of that toxic situation. But sometimes the forgiveness that we give is over one offense. And we have to just keep forgiving over and over and over and over again. They did that thing five years ago, and it took me seven to finally forgive. Now, sure, I forgave them, but I still hated them. And then the next day I woke up and I hated him, so I realized I need to forgive him that day too. And I woke up the next day and I hated him some more and I realized I needed to forgive him again and again. See, forgiveness is a process. Forgiveness isn't a one-time thing. It's an everyday thing. It's this, this place from which you live. And here's the thing. If you can hate somebody a little less tomorrow, that's a victory. And then a little less the next day, and a little less the next day. It really does take time, but it takes us being intentional, saying, I received forgiveness, and I didn't deserve it, so I'm giving this person forgiveness. I wonder, is there anybody you need to forgive this morning? Their name's already in your mind. Several names, maybe. Is there anybody you've been holding a grudge against for years, and they're dead? And you still hate them. Is there anybody in your family at work that you need to say, you don't owe me anymore? There's different ways of forgiving people. Sometimes it's a conversation with that person. Hey, I've been holding on to this, and I just want to say I'm so sorry. I'm going to forgive you. Sometimes forgiveness starts with an apology. I've been holding on to this, and I'm so sorry for holding on to this bitterness choosing to let it go today. Sometimes it's not a conversation because sometimes a conversation will just make things worse and so you just decide in your heart, I'm letting this go. Because forgiveness isn't so much about the other person as it is about setting you free. Is there anybody you need to forgive today? Is there anybody as we take communion you need to pray and say, God, you forgave me and I have accepted your forgiveness but I've withheld it from others. So today, 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 I'm not saying everything's gonna be fine, I'm not saying everything's gonna be good, I'm not saying I'm gonna be like them anymore, but I wanna hate them a little less. Let me start there. I want to forgive them. Who do you need to forgive today? You wanna know how not to be a jerk face? It starts with realizing you've been forgiven and then extending that forgiveness to everyone. Living from a place of I've been forgiven. So who am I to hold a grudge? Who am I to have bitterness? Who am I to develop resentment? 
I've been forgiven. And I want to show you how great my Savior is by forgiving as well. How do we not be a jerk face? I forgive. You forgive. We all forgive. Not saying it's easy, but it's necessary. We have to if we're going to be set free. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. I love that your word says, even while we were still your enemies, you came and died for us. Thank you for forgiving us, even though we didn't deserve it. May we never be the kind of people who receive your forgiveness and withhold withhold it from others. There are people in our lives right now that we need to forgive. We need to say, they don't owe me anymore. I'm not going to hold this against them anymore. God, give us the strength to do that. And there are these consequences that are still there. There's still hurt. There's still pain that we feel. But God, let us start by taking this first step. Saying, I'm laying this down. You don't owe me anymore. May today we be set free, God. May today we say, I'm so glad I came to church. Because I got the keys that are going to lead me to freedom. The keys of forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening. We pray God inspires challenges and motivates you to become greater through what you've just heard. Again, be sure to check us out at wearetherising.com. Remember, your best days are still ahead.